the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. There are only two people that Jesus commends for their great faith. This woman is one of them. The other person was back in Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. It was a Roman centurion whose servant was sick. And this Roman centurion finds Jesus in Capernaum. And this centurion says, I know what it is to be under authority. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And his servant was healed from that moment. The two people that Jesus commends for their great faith are both Gentiles, which has to be challenging to to his Jewish disciples. Did you know that the only two people that Jesus commended for their faith weren't even Jewish individuals? Many of us could scarcely imagine what it would be like to go on a missions trip to share the gospel, only to be met by individuals who had greater faith than our own. However, as Pastor Gary discusses in his message today, this is exactly what happened during the ministry of Jesus. In his study, you'll learn the importance of guarding your heart from complacency and having a heart that yearns for the Messiah. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 15, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. When we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all sin because He honors His Word. And when we are confessing of our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need a heart cleansing. We need a heart cleansing is what we need. And Jesus provides it. So He's challenging them. Look, don't worry about the traditions of men as much as the commandments of God examine the heart more so than the hands. Well, verse 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So let me throw up, I have a couple of maps for you tonight, okay, just to get a perspective of where Jesus is traveling here. He moves from the region of Capernaum, which is his home base of ministry there around the Sea of Galilee, and he's going to travel probably up the Hula Valley up there, which is following along the, the Jordan River. And then he'll, he'll make a departure somewhere uh, to the west over the mountain range into the region of Tyre and Sidon. So I've circled the two cities for you, Tyre, and then about 20 miles to the north is Sidon, right along the Mediterranean. These are port cities, which would be located in what is today modern Lebanon. And he's going to move about 50 miles outside of what was normally the territory of his public ministry. And it's for this one occasion, this is the only time that we have record of Jesus going to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he's going to go here to Gentile territory. 
and he's going to encounter a Canaanite woman. Now, Canaanites were a cursed people. Canaan was the grandson of Noah. Noah's son, Ham, did something inappropriate to Noah. And the Bible isn't quite clear as to what exactly happened, but, but Ham uncovered Noah's nakedness. Noah got drunk. First time that the word wine is mentioned in the Bible, and, and, and Noah gets uh, drunk after the flood comes to an end, and he disembarks the ark. Noah plants a vineyard. It ferments. He gets drunk. And then one of his sons does something to him that is a humiliating thing. And as a result, when Noah comes out of his drunken stupor, he curses the descendants of Ham. And in particular, Noah curses Ham's son, Canaan. So Canaan is the grandson of Noah. The Canaanites are a cursed people. The Canaanites are a people who will be occupying the land of Israel, that God will give instructions to the Israelites that they must dislodge. Now, they're still within the region. And Jesus comes to this region for this, no doubt, what will be a divine encounter, divine appointment with this Canaanite woman. So verse, verse 22 says, A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. Now, it almost looks like Jesus is being... Um, standoffish here. Uh, it almost at first glance appears that he is being uh, unkind. He's, he's not even acting as if he hears her. He did not answer a word. So it says his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she, she keeps crying out after us. Now, I personally believe, obviously Jesus has reasons for everything that he does, and so we can only kind of guess. Now, why didn't he even answer her? She's talking to him, and he's just kind of without even acknowledging her, pressing on. I think it is for the purpose of challenging his own disciples to see an opportunity here. But unfortunately, they fail the test yet again. I say yet again because back in chapter 14, at the feeding of the 5,000, which is really a miracle of the feeding of 15,000 or so, because only the men were counted, Jesus says, why don't you give them something to eat? And the disciples say, why don't you send them away? And they're... They're uttering the same thing here. So here comes this dear lady. She's like, she's like, Lord, she's like, Jesus, son of David, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus just keeps walking. He's giving his disciples an opportunity. This is a ministry moment. And his disciples instead turn to Jesus and they're like, uh, maybe you don't hear this lady, but um, why don't you send her away? They seem to have the ministry of send people away, okay? Jesus always has the ministry of come unto me. His disciples have the ministry of send people away. And so here they are, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now again, this seems a little challenging because he doesn't seem to comfort her. He doesn't seem to be, you know, very encouraging to her. Now, in effect, what he's saying is, my first mission is unto the Jews, which is true. Jesus came as a Jewish Messiah, and the ministry and the message of Messiah would come through the Jewish people. She's a Gentile. She's a Canaanite. But again, he's saying all these things because I think he's allowing an opportunity 
for God to move and to work, either through his disciples or through the heart of this woman. We're going to see here how he commends her in a moment. So he says this, I was sent only the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Now, the word there to kneel in the Greek is proskuneo. If you have a King James Bible, it says, instead of the word knelt, it says she, she came and worshipped him. It's a better translation of proskuneo. She came and she knelt before him. She worshipped him. She said, Lord, help me. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Now look, he's going to do something for this dear woman, but he's teaching his disciples at the same time. The Gentiles were known by the Jews. The Jews would often refer to the Gentiles as dogs. And they would use the term as a disparaging term. The Jews saw themselves as better than Gentiles, and they often referred to Gentiles as dogs. And they would use a term which in the Greek is the word kion, and it means a scavenger dog. But Jesus uses a different term here than the word kion. He uses the word kunerion, and it means a house pet, like a little tiny lap dog. It's actually a term of endearment here, different from the way that Jews would normally be disparaging against Gentiles and call them like a scavenger dog. Jesus uses a different word here. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. And she says, you got to love her persistence here, verse 27, Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She says, I don't want you to do anything differently from your mission and ministry, but if I could just have some of the crumbs that fall from your table, boy, that would just make my day. And Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, there are only two people that Jesus commends for their great faith. This woman is one of them. The other person was back in Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. It was a Roman centurion whose servant was sick. And this Roman centurion finds Jesus in Capernaum. And this centurion says, I know what it is to be under authority. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And his servant was healed from that moment. The two people that Jesus commends for their great faith are both Gentiles, which has to be challenging to his Jewish disciples. The centurion in Matthew 8, this Canaanite woman here in Matthew chapter 15. So again, this, this kind of reluctance that it looks like Jesus has to engage this woman in conversation, I think is for the purpose of, number one, teaching his disciples that ministry is even unto the Gentiles, and we've come 50 miles to see this. But it is also here to this dear woman that her great faith is what Jesus would honor. Now, what I love about this story is when you have to consider, these are not the days of modern transportation, okay? This is first century. This is, this is 32 A.D., or give or take. We have the luxury of hopping on a car or taking a plane or a train and going great distances very, very quickly. But to travel on foot 50 miles for one particular encounter is a divine appointment. And what I love about this story, to just put this in perspective, is Jesus went out of his way to minister to this one woman for the sake of her sick daughter. May this story always be a reminder to you and me that God will always go out of his way to take care of us. 
He will always go out of his way to take care of us. In God's scheme of what is going on and what your needs are and and what your requests are before him, he will do his good work in his good timing, and we can trust him. Here is this unknown Canaanite woman 50 miles away from the center of Jesus' ministry, and God the Father, through his Spirit, taps Jesus on the shoulder and says, here's a ministry moment. And Jesus, in his obedience, will take his disciples some 50 miles for one particular ministry moment. Don't forget for a second that God is still acquainted with your ministry need, with what your request is, with what your petition is, with what your trial is, with what your need is. And God is faithful to go out of his way to minister to our needs. He did it here for this woman. And then he goes back. That's all he came here for, was for this divine appointment. Then he goes back. Look at verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. He goes back the 50 miles or so, back to the region of the Galilee. And it says, And then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Now make a note in the margin of your Bible that Mark's gospel tells us that the region that Jesus comes to here at this moment is the region of the Decapolis. Now the Decapolis were ten cities that were so named, Deca for ten, ten cities mostly on the uh, eastern side of the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is going to go to this region and is going to feed 4,000. Now, we've already had the miracle of the 5,000 in chapter 14. Now we're going to see the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000 here in chapter 15. He comes to this region, and this region is also a region occupied largely by Gentiles. He's going to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And it'll be here that he conducts this great three-day healing venture where people of all kinds of physical need are going to be laid at his feet. I mean, look at the list there. The lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, many others laid at his feet. And, And he heals them. And they, because they're Gentiles, praise the God of Israel. So Jesus is, no doubt he's stretching the understanding of his own disciples. Look, I came for all people. So we're going to go to Tyre and Sidon. We've got a Canaanite woman who's normally of a, of a cursed race of people. And we're going to minister to her. Now we're going to go back to the region of the Galilee. We're going to go on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, the region of the Decapolis. And we're going to minister to Gentiles because I've come for all people. And it says then in verse 32 that Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? I mean, you know, look, did they not read two chapters ago? One chapter ago. It's just, it's for chapter 14. And they're still asking these kind of questions. Where are we going to get bread? Verse 34, how many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them 
and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 besides women and children. And after Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. Magadan also can translate Magdala. Magdala, a famous lady, was from Magdala, Mary Magdalene. So he's going to go from the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee back to the western side, the northwestern side, which is where Magdala is. But here's what this, this, this feeding of the 4,000. Again, it says that doesn't count women and children. So conservatively, this is a feeding of 12,000 people. Similar event of what happened in chapter 14. The difference is in chapter 14, he was in the region of Bethsaida, which is a Jewish place. And for all intents and purposes, these are going to be the last miracles that Jesus performs in the region of the Galilee. He's going to perform more miracles. It's going to be in Jerusalem. But the last miracle among the Jews in the region of the Galilee is the feeding of the 5,000. The last miracle in the region of the Galilee for the Gentiles is the feeding of the 4,000. The last miracles that Jesus does are miracles of feasting, giving us a glimpse into what will be the eternal reward when we will all be the marriage of the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready and we will engage in this wonderful and glorious eternal feast with our Savior, but that's for another study. But here Jesus is feeding the 4,000 slash 12,000. The disciples had not learned from the previous chapter. And so they even asked, where are we going to get bread? And Jesus, through this miracle, uh, multiplies the bread. He has just a couple of sardines and seven loaves of bread. And what's left over? Seven basketfuls. Now, back in chapter 14, what was left over was 12 basketfuls, but they're two different Greek words. In chapter 14, the baskets are a word in the Greek that means basically a lunchbox. They were small little hand baskets, which people would use to carry some of their personal belongings. And there were 12 of them. So each disciple in chapter 14 got his own doggy bag as a reminder that Jesus still does miracles, O ye of little faith. Here in chapter 15, there are seven basketfuls, but it's a different Greek word. It's the Greek word spuris, and it means woven basket as in a hamper, like a laundry basket. These are huge. It's the same word that is used in the book of Acts when Paul was lowered down from the city wall in a basket. Same kind of a word. So seven basketfuls left over. Seven in Jewish numerology is always a number for perfection or completion. And throughout Scripture, you see the number seven is used in that kind of a sense. Uh, God created the heavens and the earth in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. It was completed. It was perfect. Naaman the leper was told to go dip himself in the Jordan River seven times. In the book of Revelation, there are seven letters to seven churches. So there's there's meaning behind the number seven, and it really means completion. And so, again, he's teaching his own disciples that all things are completed and perfect in him, and they have to pick up seven basketfuls left over. Chapter 16, we'll see how far we can get here. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, this is interesting because normally Pharisees and Sadducees don't team up together. Pharisees are the orthodox, very conservative, legalistic Jews. The Sadducees are what we call the very liberal Jews, and they were a sect of Judaism that didn't believe in miracles. 
They only held to the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And as a result, they were very sad, you see. Okay. That's the way, that's the way you can remember it, okay? I'm a Bible professor. That's a classic way of remembering what Sadducees are about. And normally Pharisees and Sadducees, they didn't hang out together, okay? They weren't chummy. But they're on a mission. They want to try to discredit Jesus. So they come together. And they tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. And he replied, When evening comes, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. That's the same thing he said, by the way, back in chapter 12. He said, this is a wicked and adulterous generation because you look for signs. You look for wonders. You look for miracles. Instead of Jesus, we can never be more enthralled with the miraculous than we should be the miracle giver, the miracle worker. And he said, none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Jonah, he said, back in chapter 12, was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, a reference to his own death, burial, and resurrection. And as Jonah came preaching the good news to the people of Nineveh, and they repented, so like Jonah is Jesus who came to preach the good news that all might be saved. And so he says, what you're going to get is me. I am the fulfillment of the, the typology of Jonah. Verse 5 says that when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Look at verse 7. They discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. That's why Jesus said that. It's because we didn't bring any bread. Listen, guys. Chapter 14, he feeds 5,000, okay? Chapter 15, he feeds 4,000. Do you really think he's concerned that you haven't brought bread? He can bring as much bread as he wants out of the sky, out of thin air. So he's trying to use yeast as a symbol of, in this case, hypocrisy. Yeast always represents something that is evil or wicked or sinister, uh, some sinful issue. In this case, the context is hypocrisy. And Jesus is saying to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That has nothing to do with real, real bread. He's talking about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In verse 8, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. There you go, guys. After Jesus spells it out, there you go. Now, you know, we can chuckle about this, and I can tend to be hard on the, on the, uh, on the disciples, but the fact of the matter is, I see myself. I see myself in the story. You know, I don't know. I, I wouldn't have been any brighter. I'm sure of it. I mean, Jesus says stuff, and I would have been just like the rest of them, like, you know, maybe he should explain this parable to us. It's not a parable, Gary. Okay, Jesus is just shooting straight here. What about the bread? We forgot the bread. Did anybody bring bread? Did anybody bring bread? He's not talking about bread. He's always trying to challenge us in ways that we don't often see. But look, 
there's deeper spiritual things behind the words of Jesus. And these guys were surface. So when we, especially, you know, when we pray and read scripture, we need to always ask the Lord for, you know, give us understanding. Because on the surface, sometimes we may not always understand of the deeper uh, things that God intends. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know